How many of you have ever had a fair weather friend? You know, that guy that is just, he's in your corner when you've won the lotto. You know, when you got everything's going good and, and uh, you, you know, you're, you've just got that good promotion at work or you got that new BMW. I know that describes a lot of you. And everything is just going great. And, and all of a sudden, the friends are just all around you, you know. They're fair weather friends. They're there when, the, when everything's going good. But when the times get tough, they're gone. They're out of there, right? They're not there to support you in the midst of difficulty and adversity. In, in many ways, Jesus is looking for friendships. Let's just call it faith. That is not fair weather faith. That's not there just for the good times, you know, the mountaintop experiences where you really feel close and you have great communion with God. He's looking for a faith that will endure, that will be patient, that will face adversity, that will be persistent in the face of rebukes, that will be not based on flashy things, not based on what Jesus can do for you as if Jesus is another consumer product that you just purchase and hope to get a good deal on your, on your purchase. As we return this morning to our sermon series in the Gospel of John, we're going to conclude a, a big section in John. We've already had 22 sermons so far in the, the Gospel of John. We're only on chapter 4. And, uh, and as we kind of look back over that time, we've seen a repetitive theme. John wrote his Gospel, he told us with explicit with a, a reason, uh, so that you might believe. He wrote it so that you would have faith, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that in believing you would have life in Him. Well, in our text this morning, Jesus encounters some people who are very much like the people He encountered in chapter 2, verse 23. They were in it for the flash and the bang. They wanted to see Jesus do something awesome. They wanted to see the power. They wanted to see the glory. They were attracted to His wonder-working. But Jesus is not interested in that kind of faith. They believed what they saw. They thought, this guy is something else. But is that the kind of faith that is trustworthy? Is that the kind of faith that will endure even when Jesus goes to the cross? Jesus doesn't think so. So this morning, as we, as we turn together to John chapter 4, we're going to pick up at verse 43 and read uh, till the end of chapter 4. And actually, I'm going to include a few verses from the previous section just for some context. And you, just to kind of set the stage, remember that he is moving up north to Galilee. And he had to go through Samaria, and he encountered a woman at the well, and he had a conversation with her, a conversation that changed her life, that opened her eyes as he offered to her living waters. And in that conversation spread to other people, and the whole town was led to Jesus. So I'm going to back up and read from verse um, 42 or verse 39, and then we'll read to the end of chapter 4. So, these are the words of the Lord. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him 
Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And then our text this morning. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we give you thanks for your word. We want to be the kinds of people that have trustworthy faith. Not those who follow you for what you can do for us or the power that we might get from you or all the flash and the signs and the miracles, but we want persistent faith, faith that is rooted and grounded in who Jesus is the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. Open our hearts to receive this word this morning. For we pray this in His name. and Amen. Trustworthy faith. What is it? What is trustworthy faith? Well, very clearly we can see that it's more than faith in signs. Up to this point, I just want to summarize some of the events that have transpired. John the Baptist, you'll remember, he began in chapter 1, verse 19 through 42, by bearing witness. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And people began to follow Jesus. And then Jesus went north to Galilee and called Philip and Nathanael in chapter 1, verse 43. And And then there was the wedding at Cana where he demonstrated his great power in turning water into wine, demonstrating that the new creation was breaking in to this present evil world symbolically as the water represented the old covenant and the wine represented the new. Then Jesus returned to Jerusalem by way of Capernaum where he cleansed the temple in chapter 2, verse 13 through 22. And then he encounters Nicodemus at night, a religious ruling elite. And he explains to him the new birth and faith and the importance of trusting in Jesus. And then Jesus goes to the Judean countryside where he attracts more of John's disciples. 
in chapter 3, verse 22. Once he begins to attract the notice of the religious elite, he moves north again, passing through Samaria on his way to Galilee, and he meets the woman at the well. And our text today forms a conclusion to that, all those events. And in that way, he surfaces some of the same themes. You may recall Jesus saying this of those who saw his signs and believed in chapter 2, verse 23, said, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, he did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And now we come to our text and, and we see the same event. So he, he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. He is connecting these two events. But in the middle of that, there is a, a reception by those who have rejected Jesus, and there's a reception of the Samaritans who received him warmly. And John is using a deep irony when he sets these in contrast to one another. When he says, in verse 44, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And this seems not to make any sense when in conjunction with verse 45, and he moves to Galilee and they warmly welcome him. Well, how, how can they warmly welcome him but not give him honor? What, what is happening is he's, he's setting up a contrast between the reception of those in Samaria who received Jesus, not because of what he did. He didn't do anything but offer her living water. And remember, she was confused. She said, okay, give me that. You don't even have a cup to draw with. And he was offering her himself. He didn't do any miracles. He didn't do any flashy signs. He didn't turn water into wine. He didn't heal anyone. He didn't raise the dead. He spoke a word. And they believed. And they saw this is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And they believed. But His own people those who should be primed to receive Him, who their whole lives have been waiting for the Messiah. How do they receive Him? Well, they receive His signs. They like it when He turns water into wine. They like it when He heals their sick. They like it when He's a wonder worker, when He demonstrates the power of God. But Jesus doesn't trust that kind of faith. You see, throughout the Gospel of John, John is going to set up for us contrast between those who... There are three types of people in the Gospel of John. Those who reject Jesus outright. The religious ruling elite. Not our Messiah. Then there are others. They, they receive Jesus. But they receive Him for what He can do for them. For feeding them. By, by producing bread out of nothing by healing their sick, by raising their dead, by doing awesome signs. They believe Him. And then there are those who have trustworthy faith. 
But the story John gives us in verses 46 through 53 of the royal official and the healing of his son shows that these latter two categories are fluid. There are those who begin to believe Jesus because of what he has done, healing or a sign, and then they transition. Their faith grows and matures, and it becomes a trustworthy faith. And here we have an example of such a transition. It shows someone moving from a superficial faith to a trustworthy faith. And although the royal official comes to Jesus for what Jesus can do for him, he doesn't stay there. And before we look at that, we need to ask, uh, kind of back up a little bit. We've already looked at this, but it's been several months We need to ask, what are signs for? Why does Jesus do signs? And why are they not a good foundation for faith? You see, the problem is that wine runs out. And healed people, they get sick again. And even those raised from the dead, like Lazarus, Lazarus, died again. Why? Why then does Jesus do signs? Why does, and all the other gospel writers call it miracles, but John calls it signs. Why does Jesus do signs? Why does he do miracles? What is the purpose of them? Signs, as I've said before, signify. They point to a deeper reality beyond themselves. They authenticate his claim to be the Messiah, the Son of God, and Savior of the world. They are a witness. They bear witness to who Jesus is. Only God can do the things that Jesus does, demonstrating that He is indeed God. They are a manifestation of the power of God through Jesus Christ in the world. They can aid our faith. They can help somebody move towards faith. But they are not the foundation for faith. We, being sinful, are very prone to turn what is a sign into the thing that it signifies. Creation. Creation is a sign that there is a God who made all things. It's ordered and beautiful. But when we don't see beyond the sign to God who made it, who spoke and created the world, we then turn the creation into a God. We make the sign the thing signified. We do this with the scriptures. We do this with the sacraments. We do this with marriage and family. We do it with all things that point beyond themselves to God. Charismatics are, are prone to health and, and wealth gospel. And it's, I try not in, in preaching to just go after other denominations. It's not helpful. And it's often easy for us to point out flaws in other people and harder to see it in ourselves. But the charismatics have, in many ways, recovered a lot of what's good about the gifts of the Spirit. But in just like a Baptist, fundamentalist Baptist might be prone to legalism, 
doctrinal purists like us might be prone to dead orthodoxy, so charismatics are prone to health and wealth gospel. And this makes faith into a mechanism where we can squeeze what we want out of God. If you have enough faith and you believe it and you name it, you can have that thing that you want. It's a perversion of what faith really is. But it's oftentimes what we see underlying the faith in signs. Faith that trusts, that believes in Jesus because of what he can do. What he can demonstrate, the signs that he accomplishes. But John is is showing us a transition story of a desperate man searching for healing for his son who comes to Jesus because he heard of his signs. But he doesn't stay there. His faith grows into a trustworthy faith. Just imagine, imagine the scene with me. Uh, 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 An official, uh, I think a better translation is a royal official, a basilia is a a king's official. He's probably a ruler with Herod in his court. He's probably wealthy. He probably has great means. He's a nobleman. But more importantly, he's a desperate father. How many of you have ever been in a desperate situation with your children? Or something is happening to them, and you can't fix it. I remember that one time in, when, when Preston was first born, he was premature, and he was born in a hospital, a military hospital, that did not have a NICU. So they sent him home with us very early, and he was little. And he was lying on, on the table in the sun because he was jaundiced, and, and he stopped breathing. And he was five pounds, a little tiny thing. And we ran to the car and I, I got my 2000 Dodge Caravan to a hundred and something miles an hour in the middle of the road driving to the hospital because I was desperate to get breath into my son's lungs. And of course, as soon as I got him into the emergency room, he started breathing. <laughs> but I was desperate. I was desperate for someone to help me. And I, and I was m- at the mercy of God. And this man has a son. You can imagine the fever consuming him, draining his life away, and he's watching. And he has money, and he can't fix it. He has station and power, and he can't change that. But notice, he, he makes a 20-mile a trek Because he hears that Jesus is in Cana. And he knows that this is a man who heals people. This is a man who has power from God. And he goes. He doesn't send his servants. He doesn't send a delegation to tell Jesus to come back to him. He doesn't send money. He goes himself. He makes the 20 mile trek to Cana to come and see Jesus. Have you ever been that desperate with someone you love? Have you ever felt that desperation, that desire for God to intervene in whatever situation you were facing? 
desperation caused the man to flee to Christ. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't trust that kind of faith. It might seem like it's a good start, but it's not a good foundation. Jesus responds to the man when he comes. When he asks him to come and to heal his son, to come back with him, what does he say? Jesus says in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Wow, that's harsh. This man is desperate. But that you, that that you there, unless you see signs is plural. Jesus is speaking to all of the Galileans who have so welcomed him. And this man is just a part of that group. But he's not going to stay there. He's not going to stay in that group. Unless you see signs, you will not believe. Unless I heal your son, you would not believe in me. Alexander McLaren, the renowned Scottish pastor, said this, Christ had just come from Samaria, the scorn of the Jews. And there he had found people who needed no miracles, whose conception of the Messiah was not that of a mere wonder worker, and who believed on him because they heard him themselves. And his words touched their consciences and stirred strange longings in their hearts. On the other hand, such recognition as Christ had thus far received in his own country had been entirely owing to his miracles and had been therefore regarded by Christ himself as quite unreliable. End quote. If the story stopped there, it would be a story of what not to do, of trustworthy faith that is based only on miracles, on signs, on what Jesus can do for you. That is not trustworthy faith. What is trustworthy faith then? Notice that the royal official's desperation causes him not to be dissuaded by Jesus' comments. Look at verse 49. the, The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And you can hear even more desperation. He's not dissuaded by Jesus' rebuke. Jesus says, unless you see signs, you will not believe. And he says, come. I need you to come. I'm desperate for you to come and to heal my son. If you don't come, he's going to die. Here we see the very first distinction between superficial sign faith and trustworthy faith. Persistence. Persistence. Sign faith is the seed sown on rocky ground from Jesus' parable. Jesus interprets that to his disciples as this, Matthew 13, 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. That's not what happened with this man. He went to the man and he said, come to my home with me. My son is sick. And Jesus said, unless you see signs, you will not believe. But he didn't turn at that moment and say, yeah, you're right. I don't, 
not going to do it. I'm, I mean, I'll find somebody else. That's not what he does. He says, my son is sick and he's going to die. You have to come with me. That's not the seed that fell on rocky ground. That is persistent faith that believes despite hardship, despite adversity, despite even a rebuke from Jesus. It perseveres. Persistent faith and prayer for covenant children who have wandered away. Don't give up. The loss of loved ones. Persevere. Your own pain and sickness that plagues you every day. Trust in Christ. Marriage falling apart. Abide with Him. On and on, your faith will be tested. The kind of faith that is trustworthy is persistent. Despite adversity, it continues to move forward. Will it be a fair-weather faith who only trusts God in the mountaintops of life? But also notice, he didn't try to use his power or wealth to influence this situation. He didn't say, Jesus, I command you to come with me. I am a ruler. I'm an official. I have authority. You will come with me. He didn't do that. He trusted. And he said, Sir, come down before my child dies. He pleaded with him. What is Jesus' response? It seems as if this is all he wanted. This is all he wanted was just him to hold on for one more second. He could have turned at the first rebuke. He could have turned and walked away. But Jesus had something in store for him if he just persisted. Jesus said to him, go! Your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And here we see the second trait of of trustworthy faith. It comes by hearing. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I, I, I like the New English Bible. It says, and what is faith? Faith gives substance to our hopes and makes us certain of realities we do not see. Faith gives substance to our hopes and makes us certain of realities we do not see. Paul adds in Romans 8.24, For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? It's not seeing is believing, it's believing is seeing. All Jesus does is give one command, go. Followed by a promise, your son will live. Which the royal official believes and so goes. And here we see the two important aspects of his faith on display. Trust, he believes the promise of God and obey. He goes. We could say that he saw. He saw 
in his mind his son recovering. He saw the fever breaking. He saw the color coming back into his flesh. He saw him getting up and talking with his mother. He believed because he saw him healed. Faith gives substance to our hopes and makes us certain of realities we do not see. He didn't see it. He didn't see his son immediately healed. He didn't see that until the next day. He believed it because he saw it in his head. He saw it in his heart. He believed. He had faith. He trusted in the promise of God. His faith saw the promise realized. Imagine if you took Jesus' promises and saw them like that. Imagine if you just took one promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. And you believed it. And then when you encountered difficulties, what would that do for you? You would know that Jesus is right there with you and that his promise to never forsake you is true. That this difficulty that you're facing is not Jesus forsaking you. And imagine if you did that for all the promises of God. That if you could hold them and believe them as true for you. What if in your most desperate times you saw that promise was true? God has spoken to you in His Word. Take up and read. It's filled with promises. And believe them. But notice also that it would be foolish to persist now for this man. To keep asking Jesus to come would actually be unbelief. To trust Jesus without obedience to his commands is not faith. As as James says, faith without works is dead. The hallmark of fair weather faith is its lack of obedience. Faith is exercised in obedience. It's strengthened in obedience. It becomes lively in obedience. It dies in disobedience. But what compelled the man to return to his son was a trust that the promise of Jesus was true. His son would live. Sign faith is in it for what it can get. It's consumeristic faith. It stays so long as everything is going good, but when the going gets tough, it's out of there. It's one thing to trust Jesus when He is doing miracles, healing the sick and demonstrating the power of God, but what about when He dies on the cross? What what happens to your trust and hope then if it's only on signs and wonders and miracles? See, it was the same people who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday that then crucified Him on Friday. They were on Sunday yelling, Hosanna! Glory to God in the highest! They were acclaiming Him as their King. And then they were on Fridays. Crucify Him! Crucify Him! 
Same people. Remember the story of the paralytic that is lowered through the ceiling for Jesus to heal? His four friends bring him. He, Jesus is preaching and they can't get up to the front. And when, when they tear apart the tiles on the ceiling and they lower him down, and when Jesus saw the faith of, their friend, of his friends, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Everything Jesus does is designed to teach. And he hears the Pharisees begin to grumble. How can he forgive sins? Who is this guy? This is blasphemy. And Jesus said, which is easier? Which is easier for me to forgive sin or to heal this man? But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I say to this man, rise up and walk. Which is easier for the creator of the universe to put right what has been broken by sin? Heal somebody's leg? Bring somebody up from the dead even. That's easy. That is light work to the creator who spoke the world into existence. But to forgive sin? Do you know what it cost Jesus to forgive your sin? It cost him a brutal death on the cross. It cost him the turning away of his father in anger to a man who never once sinned. Who became sin for you. So that in him you might become the righteousness of God. When God turned his back on him. And poured out the full measure of his wrath. For your sin. For my sin. That's what it costs Jesus to pay for sin. To forgive sin. To reconcile you to God. So that you could be at peace. It cost him everything. Sign faith will not endure the cross. It's a theology of glory. It mocks the cross. Jews want signs and Greeks stumble over wisdom, Paul said. But we preach Christ crucified. It's a theology of the cross. And that's a trustworthy faith that's persistent, that comes by hearing, that is exercised by obedience. That's the faith that Jesus trusts. And that's the faith that will lead all the way through the cross to the resurrection and glory. For our path is the same as Jesus. He said, for those who who don't follow me, who can't take up their cross and follow me daily, they don't have any part with him. It's not a theology of glory first. It's the cross and then glory. Jesus is in glory. But he, he endured a lot of shame to get there. Trustworthy faith is persistent. It endures patiently. It comes by the word of God, believing his promises, and it's exercised by obedience. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we are humbled. We are humbled at our own faith as we've been shown a mirror and we've examined our own hearts and we see that many times we have fallen into the, the trap of following Jesus for what he can do for us. 
because he's got power, because he can, he can put things right. He can make our life better so we can live our best life now. But even if we haven't been susceptible to all those errors, Father, we know that we want to have the kind of faith that is trustworthy, that's persistent, that believes your promises. It might seem basic, but it's so challenging for us to apply to our lives in the day-to-day. When we face our desperate times, would you speak the word to calm our hearts so that we believe your promises? So that our faith, which comes by hearing, is exercised through our own obedience. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And amen.